Good to see everybody in the house of the Lord. It's a beautiful, beautiful day today. Uh, I'm going to challenge some conventional thinking with this sermon. We're still in Hebrews, and I'm, there's no way I've realized I can do line by line in Hebrews. It would take us two years. So we're just taking the highlights, maybe a verse or two out of each chapter. Today we're on 7, 8, and 9. I'm going to try to just pull out the meat of that. But here's the thinking. How many of y'all ever thought this way? If I'm good, God will bless me. If I'm bad, God's going to curse me. That's pretty, pretty convincing. Children learn this all over the world. If I'm good, I'm going to be blessed. If I'm bad, I'm going to be cursed. Anybody ever think this way? Because, see, it's dangerous thinking because this is what it leads to. If I'm good... God will bless me, and I'll go to heaven. If I'm bad, God will curse me, and I'll go to hell. So those are two innocent thoughts. But boy, now after I added on that little second segment, it became very dangerous. If I'm good, God will bless me, I'll go to heaven. See, that's a works-based theology, and you can spend the rest of your life trying to save yourself. If I'm bad, God will curse me, and I'll go to hell. Can't tell you any children I met in my life. Preacher puts things on them like, if you go to a movie theater, you're going to go to hell. Or little girls, if y'all wear pants to school, you'll go to hell. If you know, if if you do this, you so kids grow up knowing that if they do these bad things in life, they're on the way to hell. And then they also grow up and they got a view of God like Santa Claus almost. You know, if I do good, he's going to bring me gifts. If I do bad, I get switches. And uh, the core of this thinking, this is the way you view life, this is the way you view God, it leads to this. If I'm good, God will bless me. So I've really been trying to be good, and things aren't going that good in my life, and now I'm a little miffed at God because he owes me. We just sang a song, Jesus, you don't owe me anything. If you think Jesus owes you, this is coming from this root thought, well, if I'm good, God will bless me. And I've been real good my whole life, so why is he not blessing me? He owes me. Bad thinking, sick thinking, humanistic thinking, self-centered thinking, self-righteous thinking, self-sustaining thinking. If I'm bad, God's going to curse me, and I'm going to go to hell. Or let's just take off, I'm going to go. If I'm bad, God's going to curse me. Well, how bad do you have to get before the curses start coming? How many sins? How big of a sin? Who's measuring the strength of your sin? You may think you just stole a little bit. Well, that's one of the Ten Commandments. That's just as bad as murder or adultery in God's eyes. Or you may think, uh, you know, this thinking, either one of these paths you go down leads to the broad way, which leads to damnation. You've got to stop thinking, if I'm good, God's going to bless me. If I'm bad, God's going to curse me. If I'm good, God bless me. So I'm going to really try to be good. Now you, you get a viewpoint of your life. You work so hard at being good that you actually think you're better than other people, better than other Christians. You may look down on other Christians. What's that called? That's called religion. That's called you being a Pharisee. You think you're so good. You come to the public and you can put on this religious mask and you got a track record of being good. Truth is, you just never have told anybody your secret. Tell them your secret. That'll wipe away that whole image right there. How bad you got to be before God curses you? And how good do you have to be before he's going to bless you? I'm challenging you this morning, all right? I haven't got in my sermon yet, but I'm going to get in. I'm going to dive in. You're going to understand where we are. And I'm praying with all my heart that God will deliver you today from self-righteous thinking, uh, selfish thinking, religious thinking, thinking like the Pharisee, thinking uh, like Paul, I mean Saul before he became Paul. And, and Paul writes about this better than anybody because he was one of them. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. A Jew of Jews, and he understood the law. And some of y'all are thinking, oh, Brother Hudson, don't talk about law. We're delivered from law. We're not even want to deal with that. That's not for us. If you have a thought ever 
you're living a good life and God ought to be blessing you, that's just like the Pharisees approach life living under the law. Because the law said, God will bless you if you're good and curse you if you've been bad. Y'all following me? I ain't even got started. So I know I'm not going to finish, but I'm going to do all I can. I've got to jump in Hebrews 7. This thought is too big to pass it over. Because the writer of Hebrews is, again, writing to Jewish Christians that are under great persecution. They're tempted to go back to temple worship. This is probably 62 to 66 A.D., and therefore only probably four years before the temple got burnt to the ground. So this was the, you know, they sewed up the veil. They kept offering sacrifices, even though the presence of the Lord wasn't in the temple. This really grieved God that they would bring a, a lamb or a goat or a bullock to the priest to make a sacrifice for their sins, because this is 60, 65 years after the cross of Calvary. That's spitting in the face of God, saying, your son's not enough. And what this group of people, they were tempted to go back to that temple worship to get the persecution off of them. So the writer keeps comparing Jesus with the law. He's better than the law. Jesus with uh, Moses and the, and, and, and the Levitical priesthood, he's better than all that. And, and now here's Melchizedek saying, Jesus is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Aaron was a priest after, from the Levitical family. So Aaron was a man. And Aaron was a sinful man and had to offer blood sacrifices for himself as well as for the people. The high priest in the day, this day had to offer their sacrifice first, get their sins atoned for first, before they could offer sacrifices for the sin of the people. So that's an inferior system. Jesus comes along, it's a superior System. You know, we don't need anything to do with the law anymore because that was simply a shadow, a type, a picture pointing to Jesus. Now we have Jesus. He's the fulfillment of the whole thing. So the writer's saying he was a priest, but not a priest after the order of Aaron. He was a priest after the order of Melchizedek. Now let me read this. For Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. So Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek before the law, before the, before the law of tithing ever was written. He is first, by translation of his name, king of righteousness. That's what Melchizedek means. Melech, Zedek. Melech, king, Zedek, righteous. King of righteousness. And then he's also king of Salem. Salem means peace. He's a king of righteousness. He's a king of peace. That is the king of peace. He's without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. (laughs) Now let me tell you right there, a lot of preachers say this was a human being. There's never been a human being on the earth that had no father or no mother or no genealogy and neither having beginning of days or end of life. Okay, that can't be a human being. It says resembling the Son of God. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abram the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. Y'all remember we had a lesson a few weeks ago about Jacob wrestling with the Lord? And that, was, that was Christ in some type of bodily form. We're not sure what he looked like. We're not sure. I believe that's what Melchizedek was. It was Christ. Before Jesus was ever born 2,000 years ago, Christ has always been around. He created everything. He spoke all things into existence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Christ, the Word, is the second part of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, or God the Word, and God the Holy Ghost. So Melchizedek wasn't a man. The writer's trying to say that. Jesus didn't come after a Levitical priesthood or just as a human being. He was also son of God. Yes, he was human, but he was divine. Yes, he was human, but he was sinless. Yes, he was human, but he was supernatural. Yes, I get it. He was a son of man born by Mary, but Joseph wasn't his father. The Holy Spirit was his father. Jesus was after the order of Melchizedek, an eternal order, not a temporal order, a heavenly order, not a physical earthly order. An invisible order, not a visible order. Jesus, seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for you and I, is a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Amen. You, got better, you got a better deal, a better system than the system of the Levitical priesthood 
or the high priest of Aaron. He continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham the patriarch gave a tenth of his spoils. So Melchizedek, the writer saying Jesus is greater than the high priest. Now we're going to jump down to 25 and we were on this last week. So I'm I'm not going to teach it. I'm just going to read it to you. Chapter 7 kind of comes to a conclusion here with really powerful verses. It says, consequently, he's able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he's always living to make intercession for them. So again, he's at the right hand of the Father. He's making intercession for you and me. So if he saved you from hell, don't you think he can save you the rest of the way? Don't you think he can keep you the rest of the way? Quit fearing falling, beloved one. He's right. If you fall and skin your knee, he's right there with you to pick you up again. He'll save you to the uttermost. You want to be perfected in Christ? Jesus will bring about that perfection. You want to grow in Christ? Jesus will help you grow. You want to be strong and overcome the world? You can do that through Jesus Christ. He will save you to the uttermost. Get rid of your fear and your worry and anxiety. Jesus will save you from all that stuff. You still got a weakness? He'll save you from your weakness. Jesus will save you to the uttermost. You don't need another religion. You don't need another God. You don't need another temple. You don't need another man or a priest or a person. You've got Jesus Christ. Don't go looking for a priest, beloved one. You've got the priest. The mediator between you and God. You don't have to go in the Holy of Holies at a temple anymore. Your Holy of Holies is in your prayer closet. Just get along with Him. Walk into His presence. You don't have to come to church just to feel the presence of the Lord. Learn how to bask in His presence in your study, in your car when you're in there with Him. Realize you can come boldly to the throne of grace in your time of need. Not just on Sunday morning. Anytime you can walk right into the Holy of Holies. Because Jesus is your high priest. So it's indeed fitting that we have such a high priest, look at the red letters, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, exalted above the heaven. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. See what a grief it would be for God if any of us went and slew a goat or a sheep and try to make a sacrifice to God, that, nothing would break his heart more. Because Jesus offered the one and final sacrifice himself. He, he offered the, the cumulative total of all the animals that ever slain. His sacrifice was greater than that. He offered up himself. Some people just want to... Our terminology in songs and things sometimes gets lost because we, you know, we talk about the blood of Jesus saving you. If you drew a syringe out of the blood of Jesus and squirted that on the cross, would that have been enough to save us? No, he had, he had, he had to die. <laughs> he gave his blood. When he gives his blood, we're talking about he gave his life. He had to spill his life. He was the sacrifice once and for all when he offered himself. He was the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. No need for any more blood sacrifices. He was the Lamb. He was the bullock. He was the goat. He was the sheep. Jesus, the one and final sacrifice, Jesus. Get your eyes open to what he did for you and fall in love with him. And that's what will melt your heart and bring forth transformation. Jesus, the Lamb of God, that took away the sin of the world. For the law appoints men in their weakness as high priests, but the word of the oath which came later than the law appoints a son who's been made perfect forever. After the order of Melchizedek, Jesus, a perfect high priest. So now we flip into Hebrews 8. Hebrews 8 is a phenomenal chapter. We may not even get into 9, but there's a few things in Hebrews 8 I know God wants you to learn. It starts out, he's given a, a little summary statement for the first seven chapters that he wrote. The writer saying, now the point in what we are saying. In other words, to conclude and wrap up what we're saying, I'm going to put it in one sentence. We have such a high priest... One who's seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So Christ is there at the right hand of the Father. That's the power side, his right arm. There's a lot of scriptures about the right arm. We're going to do a series on the right arm of God. That's the power side. So he's at the place of the right arm of the Father. 
He's in control, sovereign ruler over the whole world. He's interceding for every Christian alive. He's, he's pulling for you. you. You don't need to live in fear. You got Him interceding for you. You got the Holy Spirit interceding for you. You got brothers and sisters in church interceding for you. Quit living in fear and start living in victory because, beloved, He has won the victory. Jesus has overcome. But the thing that got me the most of this, where are you right now? Where are you? Come on, somebody. You say, well, I'm in church looking at you, Brother Bill. This is Eastern Boulevard in Clarksville. You know, we had a lot of lessons. Let me say it this way. Is Jesus in your heart? Amen. Are you in his heart? So here he is at the right hand of the Father, and you're in his heart? Is that right? See, you're in Christ, right? Don't forget you're in Christ. He's in your heart, you're in his heart. And he is seated, seated at the right hand. So that means he's, he's, his work's done. He's not up here all worried. He's not having an anxiety attack. He's not all afraid we're going to miss it. No, his work is finished. And he's interceding for you. And he's there with you. Now, look what it says in Ephesians 2. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Didn't I just tell you you're in Him? That means you're seated with Him in heavenly places. You say, Brother Hudson, you've lost your mind. Well, I, I'm looking around. I see we're all seated here at Return Church in Clarksville on Eastern Boulevard. Physically, you are. Spiritually, you're in Him. You're in Him. I, 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 the moment He came in me, I came in Him. He did that for me. And here, Ephesians even... Gives you a double dose of it. Raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places. Where? In Christ Jesus. We're in Christ Jesus, seated in that place of authority. You have so much more authority in Christ than what you realize. You know, healing the sick should just be something you do all the time, in between your work. You, it, driving away devils ought to be something you, you do. You walk in a room full of darkness, you, your presence and your prayer and your communication with God and the presence and the fire of the Holy Spirit, you should be able to push devils out of the room. You just walk in it. You should be able to help people all the time because you're seated with Christ in heavenly places at the right hand of God, on the power side of God. Christian, you don't have to be defeated. Christian, you don't have to live in fear. We're seated with him. All right, I got to move on. Verse 10. This is talking about the new covenant. That's what Hebrews 8 is all about, the new covenant. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. Now, this specific verse is quoting from Jeremiah. Jeremiah said the same thing. This is a fulfillment of prophecy. And he's specifically talking about Israel, Judah and Israel, the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord. But, and there's a whole other lesson, but understand you, the Gentiles are grafted in. We, we are, all the promises of the house of Israel, we get the Gentiles get them now. We don't, ha, you know, we don't have to be circumcised. We get water baptized and our heart gets circumcised. And we are of the household of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So don't let this throw you here. That's a whole other lesson. I don't have time for it today. I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and write them. I mean, into their minds and write them on their hearts. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor, each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Now that's talking about in the millennial reign. After the end of the tribulation period, Jesus comes back, establishes his kingdom in Jerusalem, and he's saying every Jewish person there is going to know, know, the, know the Lord. There won't be any need for gospel messages, evangelism. There won't be any need for it. All the Jews will be saved. Are y'all following that? But the other part of the new covenant came in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came to the earth and baptized them in the Holy Spirit there in Acts 2, and they were in the, in the upper room. That's when the new covenant came into effect after Jesus was raised from the dead, after he was seated at the right hand. He sent the Holy Spirit to the earth. And when the Holy Spirit comes into a new Christian, he, he's trying to put God's law in our minds and in our hearts. He's not saying be rebellious. 
He's saying, you've never been able to keep the law anyway, so I'm going to come inside of you, and I'm going to keep it for you. I'm going to live my life through you as I put my law in your heart and in, 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 in your mind. He said, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities, and I'll remember their sins no more. One of the greatest truths I know about God, when he forgives you of your sins, he remembers it no more. How many of y'all feel like he's got a book? He's been keeping a ledger on you for years. <laughs> God's not keeping a ledger about your sins. He is keeping a ledger of your good works because there is reward in eternity. But he's not keeping a ledger. The Bible talks about when you come to Jesus and give your heart to Christ and ask him to wash your sins away, he washes every sin away and he throws away the ledger. No longer is he keeping a book. Now, if you've never been saved, yeah, you've got a whole book against you. You've got your whole life against you. But you're not going to get go to hell and be judged because of your behaviors, you're going to hell and being judged because you were born into Adam. You were born into sin. That, that's, that's what's got to be fixed. So at the cross, Jesus not only shed his blood and washed away our sins, he also eradicated the old man. He destroyed the old man at the cross. There's two types of Old Testament covenants. There's a conditional covenants, unconditional covenants. There's a covenant he gave to Noah. His unconditional covenant. There was a covenant he gave to David. The, the one, two I want to focus on, because I don't have hours here, is Abraham and the Mosaic covenant. The, the covenant God gave to Abram and the covenant God gave to Moses. Now, we had a sermon a few months ago on the covenant, several months ago, Abraham's covenant. So I'm not going to go long in here, but I'm just going to reemphasize it one more moment. Abraham's covenant. This was in Genesis 15. If you got your Bibles, you can turn. If not, you just read with us. I'm, I'm using the ESV. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Now, this was Abraham was having a conversation with God saying, Eliezer's going to have to be my heir because I'm too old to have kids. And God's promised Abraham a son. And the word of the Lord came to him, and this man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heavens and number the stars. And if you're able to number them, then he said to him, so, you shall, so shall be your offspring. And he believed the Lord and he counted him for righteousness. So this was Abraham's great quality. He knew how to trust God. He knew how to believe the Lord. God made Abram righteous when he just simply believed him. And God had him look up at the stars and probably lifted him up in the spirit in some way to give him a glimpse of, of just millions and millions of stars. And he said, this is, this is going to be your heirs. So Abraham believed God. He had this powerful experience. But as the conversation went on, Abraham was saying, well, how shall I know that this is really going to take place? How do I know? Uh, here we go in verse 8. Oh, Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said, he said you're going to possess the land. North, south, east, west, here where you stand, you're going to possess the land and your stars, going to, your offspring is going to be innumerable as the stars. So he said to him, bring me a heifer, three years old, a female goat, three years old, a ram, three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and he cut them in half and laid them half over against the other, but he did not, the bird. So he, he, he takes these dead animals and he puts them out in a line here and he leaves an aisle between the dead animals. He didn't, he didn't put this up on a sacrifice. He wasn't burning these animals. He laid these animals out. And the reason he did this, because you can read in Jeremiah, this is how in ancient worlds they entered into contracts, or, or deeper than a contract, a covenant. And as when, if a Lord had a servant, and the servant wanted the Lord to take care of him and pay his wages and take care of his family, the Lord would say, okay, I'll, I'll take care of you the rest of your life. But you're going to have to you know, take care of me and, and do your work and everything. If you can't do, live up to the deal, then so the servant would pass through the pieces. He'd walk down the aisle. And the servant was saying, by doing that, if I don't live up to my end of the deal, you can kill me. So that was a, a conditional covenant based on the Lord and a servant. So Abraham thought that's what God was having him do. Abraham was a servant. God was trying to say... Hey, I've got a big, big life for you, man. I, I, I think you're going you're to have your own boy, and he's going to have millions of offspring. They're going to be innumerable as the stars in the sky. You're going to possess this land all the way from the river 
here to here, and he even named all the, the tribes in the country that, that would be driven out of the land. God promised all this to Abraham. And Abraham said, well, how do, you know, how do I know this is what's going to happen? And God said, all right, let, let's enter into a covenant. So Abraham put the pieces of flesh on the ground, and Abraham, I'm sure, was off to the side. And then look what, he, look what happened here. So Abraham comes over here, and the Bible says the Lord put a deep sleep on him. It said, in King James, a horror of great darkness came upon him. So he, he gets this horrible sleep, and, and in his sleep, he all of a sudden sees, look at there, verse 17, it came to pass when the sun went down as dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning lamp that passed between those pieces in the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. So what happened, much to Abraham's surprise, was that God passed between the pieces. Abraham thought God was going to ask him to pass through the pieces. And so Abraham would have to say, all right, God, if I, if I don't do my end of it, I'll be put to death. You know, God looked down at Abraham and realized, Abraham can't keep a covenant that way. He's just a human being. So I'm going to go and I'm going to pass through the pieces for him. God kept both ends of the deal. The covenant with Abraham, God initiated it and God kept it for man and God's part of the deal. But it's unconditional covenant. God kept both sides. He never asked Abraham to do a thing. That's the heart of the gospel. Now, you fast forward several years to Mount Sinai. And here, the children of Israel have gathered there. Moses has been up on the mountain a long time. He's been getting, receiving the law. God had his children out of Egypt, but now they're in a wilderness, and he needed to give them structure. He needed to give them boundaries. He needed to give them a law. So he used an angel, but he took many, many days and gave Moses much, much detail. In fact, he gave him 613 different laws. Moral laws, the Ten Commandments were part of the moral laws, civil laws, ceremonial laws. He gave him commandments and laws and precepts and statutes and judgments and testimonies. Read Psalms 19. David was thanking God for all of those. And uh, what the whole law, what it what it meant was you're going to be blessed if you obey God and you're going to be cursed if you disobey God. Now we're right back to where we were at the beginning of the sermon, right? Y'all are going to be blessed if you obey. You're going to be cursed if you disobey. Now it's humanly impossible for anyone to keep the law perfectly. So that's the big problem. Is you, are, you get out on this track and you try to keep it perfectly. You mess up in one little point, then you're guilty of it all. So when do, the, when do the blessings stop and the cursings begin? See, when we break the law, it, the law is really there for us to break and us to see our need for grace. I like the law, Ten Commandments posted in the land, that's good and that's healthy, but that won't save anybody. It, it lets you know you're, what a sinner you are. If you can't read the Ten Commandments and feel convicted and guilty, then you're really not, you need to pray that last the Holy Spirit to let you go deeper into yourself so you can understand how often you break the law. Mosaic covenant, blessings and curses. So I would, if you got your Bible, we can go to Deuteronomy 27. And uh, I, there's way more here than I'm going to read, but I just want you to read a little bit of it. I want you to see where this mindset comes from. Deuteronomy 27, 11, that day Moses charged the people saying, when you have crossed over Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And these shall stand on Mount Ebal for the curse, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. And, and the Levites shall declare to all the men of Israel in a loud voice. So what he had them do when they go, went across the river Jordan is half the tribes stood on the left side and half the tribes on the right side. Half at Mount Gerizim and half and Mount Ebal. And Ebal, what they said in that time, was real rocky and no, no vegetation growing on it. And Garrison had all kind of foliage and trees. This is a modern picture of the two mountains. I've been there in Israel some 25 years ago and saw Mount Garrison and Mount Ebal. The priests were in the middle. They, the whole community marched in there. The priests and the Levites, priests nearest the Holy of uh, uh, the Ark of Covenant and the Levites around them. And then half the tribes go up on the blessing side and half on the cursing side. So God made this big, big demonstration of uh, blessing and cursing. It's such a good demonstration. Here we are 2,000 years later. We're still trapped in this way of thinking. I'm going to help you get out of that by the power and the grace of the Holy Spirit. 
Mount Ebal, Mount Gerizim. Deuteronomy 27.15. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, and a thing made by the hands of craftsmen, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark. You say, what's so serious about that? Well, that's how you, they just want another 10 acres of land at night. They sneak out there and move the landmark over. You know, that's why they didn't have deeds like we had deeds. They had landmarks. That was a bad deal. And the people shall say, Amen. And all the people, and curse shall be anyone who misleads a blind man on the road. That guy ought to be punished. That'd be the meanest thing you could do is get a blind man pointed the wrong way. huh? All the people shall say, Amen. Cursed be anyone who perverts the justice due to the sojourner or the stranger, the fatherless, and the widow. And all the people shall say, Amen. I'm skipping around. There's way too many verses for us to read. So I'm just going to do a few. Verse 22. Cursed be anyone who lies with his sister, whether... The daughter of his father, the daughter of his mother, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who strikes down his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who takes a bribe to shed innocent blood, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed be anyone who does not conform to the words of the law by doing them, and all the people shall say amen. There's so many more curse, cursing verses. Blessings for obedience. And if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments that I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. If you obey the voice of the Lord your God, blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the field, and blessed shall be the fruit of your womb, and the fruit of the, your ground, and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket, and blessed shall be your kneading bowl, and blessed shall be you when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to defeat you. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and all that you undertake, and he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. Pretty much sounds like do good and be blessed, do bad and be cursed, right? Let's just stay with this. Deuteronomy 28, 15. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, or be careful to do all his commandments and his statutes that I command you, then all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Cursed shall you be in the city, and cursed shall you be in the field, and cursed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Cursed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your ground and the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Cursed shall you be when you come in and cursed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will send on you curses, confusion and frustration and all that you undertake to do until you're destroyed and perish quickly on the account of evil deeds because you've forsaken me. Sounds rough, doesn't it? The Lord will cause you to be defeated before your enemies. You shall go out one way against them seven Flee seven ways before them. You shall be a horror to all the kingdom of the earth. And your dead body shall be food for all the birds of the air and for the beast of the earth. And there shall no one be to frighten them away. The Lord will strike you with the boils of Egypt and with tumors and scabs and itch. How many of y'all want an itch? <laughs> of which you cannot be healed. The Lord will strike you with madness and blindness and confusion of mind. And you shall grope at noonday as the blind gropes in darkness, and you shall not prosper in your ways, and you shall be only oppressed and robbed continually, and there shall no one be to help you, and you shall betroth a wife, but another man shall ravish her. You shall build a house, but you shall not dwell in it. You shall plant a vineyard, but you shall not enjoy its fruit. Whoo! Do good, be blessed. Do bad, be cursed. Do good, be blessed, go to heaven. Be bad, be cursed, go to hell. You see where this comes from. You see how so many well-intentioned preachers preach. Do good. <laughs> That's a lot, a lot of children, all they get in 18 years of children's church and youth programs is be good. <laughs> Don't be bad. They need a little more than that. So what's the difference in the old? Look here. 
Jesus took our curse upon himself. Jesus took our curse upon himself. Wow. This is really powerful. This may be the most powerful verse I've read in a long time. Look at this, Galatians 3.10. But for those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. For the scriptures say, cursed is everyone who does not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book of the law. Right? That's what it says. We've all broken them. We all deserve curse. All of us. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scriptures say it's through faith that a righteous person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law. Amen. When he was hung on the cross, he took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. It is written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. Calvary, when you think of Calvary, when you sing of Calvary, when you imagine Calvary, you got to understand, we all deserve the curses. We all deserve the punishment. We all deserve the judgment. We've all broken the law. And what Jesus said is, my people are hopelessly lost. They've been given the law of Moses for over 2,000 years, and, and they have the laws and the rights and the wrongs and the do-gooders and the do-batters, and there's the priesthood and the blood, but that blood can't take away sin. The animal blood could only cover sin. Even on the Day of Atonement, atonement means to cover. The priest would go in and put the blood on the mercy seat to cover sin to hold back the wrath of God, but it never took away sin. What Jesus did on the cross was to become our sin. He took all of our sin upon himself, and then all of the curse that we deserve, he took that curse off of you, and he put it on himself. Oh, cursed is our Lord. Cursed because he became sin. Cursed because he paid the price. He went where you and I deserve to go. And that is an execution cross. A place where he didn't just spill his blood, but he gave his life. That you and I might live. He gave his life that we would no longer have to be under a curse. Beloved Christian, you're in Christ. You're not under a curse. I'm telling you right now, you're not under a curse. Jesus paid the price of the curse. Those days are long over with. I got you thinking a little bit now. I'm going to give you a few thoughts. The last verse of Hebrews 8 says this. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, he didn't, the thing he made obsolete was not the Old Testament, was not the covenant of Abraham, not the covenant of Noah, the covenant with David. The thing he made obsolete was this Old Testament law, this whole system of the priesthood, and the tabernacle, and the sacrifices, and the feast days, and the Sabbath laws, and the 613 moral, civil, ceremonial laws. He made that whole system obsolete. And I think what the writer here is saying, and he said he made it, the first one obsolete, it's already done. What is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away because in four more years, Titus marched in on the city of Rome and they destroyed the city and burnt the temple to the ground. So from that day, it's been 2,000 years since Jewish people have had a temple worship anymore and blood sacrifices. So he, he, it was already done obsolete. And the writer's saying, just a few more years, it's going to vanish away completely. So with that, if, if we still have the mindset as children growing up in Sunday school, do right, be blessed, do wrong, be cursed. Do right, be blessed, go to heaven. Do wrong, be cursed, go to hell. Man, really, really bad thinking. Really, none of that's got anything to do with the gospel. The gospel says Jesus came to take away all your wrongs, all your sin, all the, the results of sin or the curses. So he, he put in sin on himself. He took the curse on himself. He took the punishment on himself. He, he removed all of that. Now, the new covenant is so superior to the old covenant. The old covenant, you had all these laws telling you what to do and what not to do, and nobody could keep them. 
In the new covenant, he says, forget all that. I'm going to come right inside your heart and right inside your mind. And I'm going to write my law in there. And I'm going to live my life through you. The life that you could never live. See, all the Old Testament saints, they had to, they, to worship God. He was in the holy place. You know, he, they had to go through a tent. They had to go through a tabernacle. They had to go through the priest. In the New Testament, all that's gone now. He lives inside of every heart. When you read Old Testament stories, you've got to realize these people didn't have the Spirit of the Lord living in them like we do. It's different. You hear David's cries, it's different. Man, we, we've got such a better covenant. We've got such a better way. God himself will, will come inside of me and live the life through me that I could never do. I'm not telling you to disobey God. I'm telling you how to obey God. I'm telling you how to do it. The new covenant, I'm telling you how to do it. All right, stop trying to do good in order to receive God's blessing. Stop trying to manipulate God. I say, I've had these thoughts I'm in the day. In the middle of the day, i got a choice. God wants me probably to go to the hospital and see someone. But i got a choice. I'd rather do something on my farm. You know, and I feel the Lord telling me to do it. Well, i got a choice. And I, if I have the thought, well, you know what? I really need God to bless me this week. I'm going to go to the hospital and visit the person. Then that's, that's living under the law. That's trying to manipulate God for blessing. He don't owe you anything. You could visit people at the hospital 24-7. He don't owe you a thing. We're not living under that anymore. Are y'all following that? Yes. Hallelujah. That means don't let the preacher say to you, you obey God, he will bless you, and you'll go to heaven. You disobey God, he will curse you, and you'll go to hell. Don't, don't think that. Get that out of your mind. I don't care how many times you heard it. It was probably a sweet Sunday school teacher taught you that years ago. Probably a, a well-intentioned mother. I don't know. It's a common way people view their relationship with God, and it's why they can never find the freedom that only can be found in the gospel, a freedom in the new covenant, a freedom in a relationship with Jesus, a freedom not to sin, but a freedom to deliver me from the power of sin. This you work hard and try to do everything right, and now you expect God to bless you because he owes you? Really? Don't do that anymore. Quit manipulating God. You can't manipulate him. You just think you can. Don't waste years thinking this way. Now, there are consequences. In a new covenant relationship with Jesus, we still operate within principles. You Sowing and reaping. You know, you reap what you sow. You'll never get away from that. Whether you're gardening or sinning, either way, you're never going to, you plant corn, you're going to get corn. Plant maters, you're going to get maters. That's what we call them in Mississippi. Plant green beans, get green beans. Watermelon. I need a watermelon. Anybody got a good watermelon? They're all gone? How do we get them back? My mama knows right where the greatest watermelon store is, but only like one week in the year. And I ate that one, and I need another watermelon. Bad. I can. Anyway, you plant watermelon, you get watermelon. So plant in the spiritual, that's what you're going to reap. You pay your tithes and give offerings. And somebody said, y'all still on the old covenant about tithes? I give way more than 10%. Always have. Always have given 20 25%. I, no, the old, you only gave 10 The new, the why does God bless me financially? Because I'm a giver. It's my gift. That's, that is my number one gift. I love to give. So there's a principles here. You, you reap hell, you're going to receive hell. You, you're gonna, you, you reap a sinful, worldly life, you're going you're gonna to pay the consequences with that. that. These principles are always active, but it's got nothing to do with whether you're saved or lost. It's got nothing to do in your relationship with the grace of God. You know, yes, there's principles. You walk out in the street, you're going to get run over. You know, I mean, you've got to operate within the principles of God. But don't let the, your, your eternal destiny hinge upon this misthinking because it's all works-based. If I sin, I'm going to get cursed and I'm going to go to hell. And you walk around in fear and condemnation and guilt. you got to quit thinking that way. The curse fell on Jesus. It's not on you anymore. It's on Him. And, and if I bless and if I live good, I'm going to go to heaven. That will turn you into self-righteous religious nuts, what that will return you into. Trying to live so good that you're going to go to heaven and please God. Beloved one, you can't do it. And once you realize you can't do it and only Jesus can do it, then everything changes for you. Remember we talked about a limp. 
Jesus would break us, our whole life would break us, to break our self-righteousness just to get us limping. And now I can lean on Him and yield to Him. I yield as His life flows out of me. That's the new covenant. Better than the old covenant. The new covenant is Jesus living His life through me. That's what Sabbath rest is. Ceasing from your own works and allowing Christ to live His life through you. Oh, I hope that was understandable for you guys. All right, so they all got out of this tabernacle. I'm not, I'm not, we're not even going to talk about it. Maybe we'll mention it next week. The tabernacle is a shadow. A shadow. A sh- when you look, if you look, you can't see my shadow. But if you could, you see the shadow? Is the shadow me? No, it's my shadow. I want you to think about that's That's not... God, that's not the mediator. That's not the high priest. That's not the way. It's just the shadow of the way. And if you love your Bible and love Jesus and love the Old Testament, there's over 50 chapters in the Bible written about the tabernacle. And I encourage every one of you guys to study it. But it's just a shadow. These seven pieces of furniture are just shadows. The, the brazen altars where sin was judged and, and the animals were burnt. A picture of Jesus who judged sin. That's the cross, him taking the curse at the, is at the brazen altar where the fire was burning the offerings and the sacrifices. The priest had to wash in the laver, just a shadow. He went into the holy place. There was a candlestick. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. There was the bread of faces. Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. The golden altar was just a shadow. There the fragrance of his name would go into the holy of holies. And the priest would stand there at the curtain in front of the Holy of Holies. And inside that was the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, and the golden cherubims. And that's where our Lord dwelt. But, beloved one, that was all fulfilled 2,000 years ago when that veil was rent. No longer does he live there again. Now you've got the real deal. Jesus is greater than the shadow. He brings the new covenant. Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Jesus did that for you because he loves you. I'm going to read this to you one more time. It's the same thing I just read. Then we're going to close. I don't want you to miss this. Galatians 3.10. Make a note. Write it down in your Bible. If you can go home and study Galatians 3rd chapter, it will help you so much. But those who depend on the law to make them right with God are under his curse. If you're still dependent on the law to be made right with God, you're still under the curse. For the scriptures say, curses everyone who do not observe and obey all the commandments that are written in God's book. In other words, you've broken some of them, so you're under the curse. So it is clear that no one can be made right with God by trying to keep the law. For the scripture says, it's through faith that a person has life. This way of faith is very different from the way of the law, which says it's through obeying the law that a person has life. But Christ has rescued us from the curse pronounced by the law when he's hung on a cross, he took took upon himself the curse for our wrongdoing. For it's written in the scriptures, cursed is everyone who's hung on a tree. How do we, how do we get righteous? Faith. 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 Believing. Trusting. Asking Jesus to help us. Faith. Praying. To him, reach out to him. You want to feel secure? Just focus it all in on your relationship with Jesus. If you're not saved today, I encourage you just to give your heart to him. He'll come in your heart, forgive you of all your sins, and let you, put you on a brand new path. If you are saved, I'm praying that you'll, you'll, you'll get rid of this thinking, bless me, I've been good. Or get rid of this thinking, I'm afraid, I've been bad, I'm going to really get smacked this week. All right? God, life's not that simple. <laughs> Jesus did a lot to take away our curse. So let's give him gratitude. Instead, pray, Lord Jesus, thank you for removing the curse from my life. Thank you for removing the punishment of sin from my life. Thank you for taking my sin away and saving me. It's all through faith. Through faith. And this is it. I'm closing. It's over. 1234. I got one more minute. If the law could give us new life, read this with me. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. Before the way of faith in Christ was available to us, 
We were placed under guard by the law. We were kept in protective custody, so to speak, until the way of faith was revealed. Let me put it another way. The law was our guardian until Christ came. It protected us until we could be made right with God through faith. And now that the way of faith has come, we no longer need the law as our guardian. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Oh, glory. Let's give them a praise. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Bless your name. Bless your name. Don't stand up. Amen. Beautiful. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for taking the curse for us, just removing all that out of our life. And Lord, thank you for coming into our hearts writing your law in our hearts and our minds and Lord no longer do I have to strive at trying to keep the law I'm just going to yield to you and you can do it for me <laughs> you, you do so much for me in fact everything about my relationship with God is all about you Jesus and it always will be and I'm, I grow in gratitude every week as I understand more of the depth and the mystery of the gospel and what you've done for me and how much you love me and Lord, I, I just praise you and thank you for your precious blood that took away the curse, took away the sin, took away the punishment. No longer am I going to live under the threat of the curse. I'm just going to go to the cross and realize that you removed it all. And Lord, I thank you also for just being so good to us that you would actually live your life through us. So Lord, that's, that's a big learning curve I know for all of us. And just help us, help us understand what that means for you to live your life through us. Help us learn how to just get out of the way, be broken and yielded, that you might flow out of us into other people. Lord, you were showing me this week as I was praying that, that you're going to do a, an amazing work here in our neighborhood, in our community. And Lord, I, I want to be ready for this move of God. And I pray our whole congregation will be ready for this move of God. Lord, we're praying for a revival like none other that we've, we've ever witnessed before. We, we just want an outpouring of your presence. Lord, I want your presence to be so great that we won't want to go home, that we just want to stay here at this altar, Lord Jesus. I'm, I pray, Lord, for revival. I pray for a real turning of hearts, Lord God, a rending of souls, that, that we might just be caught on fire to the point that the whole community recognizes that and they come to see your fire, that they come to hear your word in these last days. Lord Jesus, this is my prayer for return. Bless the people here today. Bless them in their coming and their going. Bless them in the work of their hand. Bless them, Lord Jesus, as they seek to walk with you. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen.